One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When Diplomacy Fails presents... Hello and welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hey guys, welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Welcome to When Diplomacy Fails. Hello and welcome to Hello when and welcome fails. to When Diplomacy Fails. A project five years in the making. The Franco-Prussian War. The Seven Years War. Of the When Diplomacy Fails special on Napoleon. The Crimean War. To When Diplomacy Fails special on World War One. Dutch Revolt. To the When Diplomacy Fails special on the Thirty Years' War. The July Crisis Anniversary Project. The Swedish Deluge. Britain goes to war. The 1916. To the Franco-Dutch War of 1672. This is When Diplomacy Fails. Remastered. Hello, history friends, and you are very welcome to, well, another collaboration episode with someone that it's very unlikely you will know. But that's my job. Today I'm here to introduce you to Vincent W. Rospond, who you should know because, well, to put it quite simply, he's my publisher. He's the reason why I have a book, and, well, does a pretty good job. He's a friend of the podcast. In fact, he's a patron of the podcast. And he's done a lot for me. And he's doing a lot for you as well because he's bringing history out there. And we talk a lot about lots of different things. It's a great conversation. In fact, it's so good. I felt like if it was an hour, like a big hour long block, you guys wouldn't really appreciate it as much. So I just decided to split it in half, just two fairly even halves that I feel will help you digest the conversation and the information better. We talk about everything. He's got a massive interest in Polish history, so we're able to talk about that. And yes, that means he probably will be making an appearance for the Polish history miniseries, so you can look forward to that. But yeah, he's a great guy. Talking about publishing, how to get into publishing, how he got into publishing, how Wingtasar Publishing, which is the name of his publishing company, how that's kind of his baby as much as when diplomacy fails is mine, and how hobbies are important, how following your ambition and your dream is important, and how having such ambitions and not being afraid to just go after them. I know it sounds kind of romantic, but it can be something as simple as setting up a podcast. And as he says, if he can do it, well, hey, anyone can. Anyway, if you're interested in the works, in the items, in the books that Vincent Rospond has helped to bring out, that he's helped to publish, then visit Wingtasar Publishing 
com. That again, wingedhussarpublishing.com. I don't want to spoil too much of it for you guys. I feel like it's a really good conversation. It's real good free-flowing, good content within it and everything else. So, yeah, I just think you should enjoy the show. Let me know what you thought. Let him know what you thought. Track us both down and tell people about it. And a huge thanks once again to Vincent for, well, taking time out of his busy schedule to come and talk to a fellow history friend and all you guys about what it is that he does and, well, why we should all care. Enjoy, guys. It's a good one. And I'll talk to you after. So, a bit of a special podcast here, History Friends. Today we have a Mr. Vincent Rospond on the podcast. Say hello, Vince. How's it going? Hello, Vince. How are you? <laughs> very good. Very good. So, I believe you are a esteemed guest of some form because you had the honor, and pun intended, to recently, well, somewhat recently, publish When Diplomacy Fells' first book. Yes, a matter of honor, which which was great. For those who don't know, it's based on the thesis you were talking about. I think you did a, a brilliant job putting it together. It's a very interesting and concise explanation of how Britain went to war in World War One. Illustrated, I might add, mm. several pictures and maps. Oh no, yes. we didn't put maps. Yes, available uh, um, for a shameless plug. It's available uh, on Amazon, all good bookstores, mm. uh, and as an ebook as well. I might mm. add. Yes, for for uh, Kindle and uh, EPUB. Mm, very good, very very good. So all your all your first book needs, and I do believe it's a three book deal, as far as I'm aware. Now I have been told this on the grapevine, but I do believe yes. that uh, there's there's a few other ones coming. I I believe so. I think we're going to do with uh, Thirty Years War. Is that the next one? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yes. Very much yes. looking forward to that because the last time I wrote anything about the Thirty Years War, actually, that was a very long time ago. That was 2013. Yeah, I I finished that just before the July crisis. So yeah, I'll be uh, cracking the whip sometime in the next month or two so you can get that done. Yeah. Cool. The idea is now this this is released amidst the. Five-year birthday of when diplomacy fails, so it's. I've been keeping it a secret all this time, but it's not really a secret anymore. Basically, there's there's two episodes released every day for five weeks. It's insane. It's a rather large workload, and it's been uh, it's been interesting. It's been fun to try and multitask and get it all done. But we're near the end of it now, and I can just kind of let it all release itself. So the idea being that while you're listening to this history friends i am most likely working on that latest book so very exciting times excellent so mr ros pond which you told me not to call you but i'm going to call you anyway that's okay it's good <laughs> um tell me a bit about yourself tell me a bit about what it is that you do and most of all why we should care ah why you should care that's an that's the a broader more in-depth question but i am the publisher of Winged Husser Publishing, which does two different things. One is we publish uh, history, mostly military, but not exclusively military history. And I specialize in Eastern European history. So Poland, Russia, Ukraine are my uh, areas of expertise. We do a bunch of different things. We just published a book on Anna of Saxony. Uh, mm. So it, it runs the gamut. But So I edit the books published by other people. And occasionally I dig in and then write a book myself. I just finished one on the Polish army of 1939 and the campaign, you know, or opening days of the war campaign. 
but we also do science fiction and fantasy. Uh, sometimes some people have different uh, difficulty telling the difference between the two, uh, history and fantasy, but it's true. It's true. Hmm. Yeah, so we and we publish print books, we publish ebooks, and we've just done a little foray for some of our fiction to audiobooks. You know, and we, and we cover the globe in English, so pretty much anywhere you are, you can you can order our books and get them in your bookstore, or or just contact, look at our website, and we'll send them out to you. Sweet, sounds pretty good. And remind me again, what is the name of that website? Winged Husser H U S. S-A-R publishing.com. Hmm. Very straightforward. I, I, as, as someone who regularly plugs their own website, I always enjoy helping other people plug theirs, uh, giving everyone else a helping hand. But and yeah. I appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Well, you did, you did me a, gr- a great service by getting in contact with me all those years ago and, and insisting that we expose my works to the world in published form. So, here we are now. It's almost come full circle, and I'm I'm really excited to have you on, so that more people can find out about the work you do, and and I'm sure people would be interested as well because I've already I'm I'm aware that many people who listen to podcasts and listen to or or would read any any kind of audiobooks or books like that would would want to know kind of how the process works. So I suppose that's a question I have to ask you, not necessarily how the process works, but well, how about we start at the at the beginning? How does someone get into publishing? Full stop. You have to have a high tolerance of pain and a lot of patience. No, I mean I got into publishing some a little bit accidentally, but somewhat because I'm, I always take the long game in just about everything I do. <laughs> I, I was working in finance. Uh, the company I was working with acquired a magazine around the time the European in 1992 European Union was coming together. And it was a business journal about that. So I got involved in publishing that. Didn't last too long, but uh, I went from there to working for Simon & Schuster mm. in New York. Got to on the business end of it, finance end of it, and eventually got into the sales and marketing end. And uh, all along the way, I, I'm i the kind of person that asks a lot of questions. So I tried to find out not just my job, but everyone else's job too, because <laughs> I'm interested. Yeah. Uh, but also helped me do my job better because I understood how what everything put together. And then eventually I ended up working for a long time for Games Workshops publishing arm called the Black Library. I was in charge of global sales and marketing there and then the US sales. So I've I've been involved in a lot of different aspects of publishing from the, you know, getting it out to market thing. Uh but then in the in that process of that I was uh, I did have my degree in history. I have a master's degree in history mm-hmm. and some some credits towards a doctorate that I gave up very not quickly but for a variety of reasons. Uh sure. because I had to work. Um mm. we all know how that is though. Oh yeah, I I, <laughs> I empathize, sympathize and everything else. I'm still weighing up my future myself, so I I know I know what you've gone through at least part of it anyway. I uh, I ended up just on a because I became friendly with some of the people at Osprey Books. I proposed a book to them that I did on the armies of the Polish partitions, and uh, they very graciously accepted. And I worked through that. Based on everything I know about publishing, uh, I said, well, uh, I guess I'm just too dumb to not realize how difficult things are, but I don't – the challenge didn't bother me. So uh, I uh, I used all those skills. I started Winged Husser. Uh, the first book we did was actually uh, Caesar's Gaelic Wars, and then from there we've published now uh, I think 10, 12 history books and about 20 fiction science fiction. Impressive. And we've been in business now for three years. 
Hmm. Very good. Very good. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick you up on what you said there. How you how you said you you learned from your fellow colleagues how everything sort of worked. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you're essentially doing the job of numerous people, aren't you? In in Winged Azar. Yes. Uh. You know, it's a it's essentially a two man operation. Mm. Myself, I, I over my overarching uh, responsibility. Uh, my son also works with me. He does editing for science fiction and fantasy. I do a lot of the work as far as layout, cover design, editing, at least on the history side. But I do have – I work with a couple of really good guys uh, as well as freelancers and, and who do uh, things, uh, maps and, and some covers for me and some layout. I, I'm very fortunate now. I know a lot of very talented people, so I try to draw on their abilities when I can to uh, to help make things better. Mm, but I, I, I'm going to remind you what you, because <laughs> we have a somewhat unusual email schedule in that, well, I've always, first of all, I've always been impressed by how quickly you always respond to my emails, considering my, my rambling nature within them and, and the time of day which I tend to send them. But on one occasion, you told me that you never sleep. Is <laughs> To what extent would that be correct? Uh, well, there's there's a lot of truth to that. As I said, for a number of years, I worked for an English company out of the States. Because of that, in order to get a hold of people sometimes, I had to get up early. Because if I got up in a normal day, everyone's out to lunch by the mm. time I'm up online. So I sure. would get up early and I'd, I'd get all And so I just tend to do that. And then I also used to deal with Australia as well. So I'd be up later. So in my work schedule, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen Men in Black, but it's that old 24 hour centurion calendar clock, whatever. Uh, <laughs> was, I sort of, I sort of adhere to that and, uh, I'm sort of wired in. So wherever I am, I, as I get these emails, I try to respond to them because otherwise I'll probably forget about it. And then, uh, someone will be mad at me, but I do tend to be up a lot. I look, I love interacting with people. And if you ask me a question, I'll try and get you an answer as quickly as I can. Sure. Yeah. Well, I've always been very impressed about your, your punctuality with emails. It does, it makes a big difference when you're on the other side of the world and you have to rely on this person to, to bring what you have like to life, basically. So what I wanted to ask as well, you've been in publishing for, well, I mean, you've had Wing to Sar for a few years, but before then you've been in it a while anyway. What, what do you love about it? What do you dislike about it? Let's say, well, let's start with the positive first. What, what do you really enjoy about it? The thing I really enjoy about it is pretty much everything. I, I, I love books. I've always loved books. I love looking how they're constructed. I love, uh, reading them. You know, from, since I've, since I've actually been running Wing Tusser, I actually enjoy putting books together. Sure. Um, it's, it's just a fascinating process. I like the creative process. I like creating things. I kind of feel that definitely on the history side, but even in the fantasy uh, science fiction side, I feel like when we're creating books like this, we're giving something back and creating knowledge, transferring knowledge to other people. Mm. I think that's a, it's a good aspiration. Uh, one of the things about Wing Tusser I said is uh, I focus on Eastern European Mostly because I, I found, you know, I'm my family is half Polish and Ukrainian. Growing up, I couldn't find diddly about uh, <laughs> that history in English. You, you usually uh, in school you'd get a uh, paragraph that said Poland was partitioned three times, and then it disappears, and that that's about it. Uh, yeah. There's not a whole lot of information available in English, at least. 
in in the old days, Germany and Russia had a vested interest to try and keep information and sort of poo-poo the history of some of these countries in Eastern Europe. And I, uh, you know, there's a very rich and, and long history there, and I try to make it available to people. As I said, it's not exclusively what I do, but it's one of the one of my guiding lights, as it were, to uh, to publishing. Sure. Well, that's good because it kind of it follows in a lot with how I view podcasting as well. Because, well, actually, maybe I should just ask first of all, your interests are kind of solidly Eastern European. Would that be right to say? I, I guess, yeah. I am. Uh, I'm really all over the place, like a magpie. Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> and if you look at my catalog, I mean, obviously, I've I've done work in ancient history, work in modern. I, it's just all over, pretty much. But yeah, Eastern Europe is is sort of where my sweet spot is. Sure, yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. A lot of the stuff that you'd be covering to do with Poland and the Polish partitions, they really are. I mean, there's a genuine need for Polish history stuff, especially because people just aren't aware of the influence Poland has had, like in terms of having its written constitution. And I think that the the image of in, in the early 1600s well, even at the in the midst of the Thirty Years' War, really, just some really interesting stuff that went on between the Polish king and the Swedes, and then like the the family. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. ...affair going on there. Like, that's that's movie quality material there, really. 
it's it's like dynasty only played yeah. out with or like because they were all related part of the whole thing about the swedish invasion and the aftermath of the third years war was that the the vasa kings in poland did not want to give up their titles in sweden even though yeah. they hadn't ruled there in like 50 years i know yeah there was there was an actual attempt to broker an alliance between the two of them but for reasons of religion and and just being ornery neither one of them could just pull the trigger on that agreement yeah, I believe Charles Gustav of Sweden, he he wanted to ally with the Poles against the Russians, but Polish king wouldn't give up his claim on the Swedish throne, which is just such a baseless claim to have. And because of that, then he kind of said, well, we can hardly ally with someone who claims my throne. However, unreasonably, he does. So he had to invade. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't have to invade Poland, but he had to jump in there and get some spoils while he could. And because of that, then, yeah, the Swedish deluge has happened. That was episode 27, I think it was. Yeah, I really enjoyed doing that. A really interesting period in history. But I just found, the like, a generation before that in the 1650s, you had Polish kings marching into into Russia. And I think it was Sigismund III tried to get his son installed as Tsar and burned down Moscow. Like, Yeah, they, they'd actually uh, captured Moscow. Mm. Vlaslav IV had, had carried the the title of Tsar of Russia in his uh, titles after he became king. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where they, they put the false Dmitri on the throne there. And eventually the Russians cat recaptured the city. And then after they killed him, they, this false Dmitri, they stuffed him in a cannon and shot him towards Poland. So <laughs> I don't remember that, but that's brilliant. It says, yeah. a lot of, it says a lot about Russia, Polish relations, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, they never seemed to get much better from from there, though, uh, no. for some reason. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a downward spiral. Although in the the Great Northern War in seventeen hundred to twenty one, which was which was Peter the Great's Peter the Great of Russia's kind of defining moment, I suppose you could say that was a that was an alliance between the Poles and the Russians, and it was kind of the other way around from the Swedish deluge, and that it was out of necessity they believed to team up against Sweden because Sweden had such a, a young king and. They felt they could take advantage of his youth and inexperience sort of thing. And and really the downward spiral of Poland's politics comes out of that period because Peter then uses that as an excuse to sort of make it a client state, you know, between the, the Saxon kings and the Polish nobility sort of fighting amongst themselves. But that is uh, that's the nature of history. It's ever going. It's not, you know, it's not defined by one period. There's a a long process there mm-hmm. have you you said that there wasn't any there wasn't very many books i mean the books that come to mind i think adam adam zamoyski is that the name yes. of the author yeah. He, yeah he had he had a book on i believe it was during the napoleonic era though was that was that right or was it yeah he, he's done a couple of, of books during i think he's done a general history too mm. of poland in the 20 uh, 19th and 20th century and then uh, Norman Davies' uh, God's Playground yeah, is, uh, is a good generalist history. Before that, I think the, the only things you had to go by were the Cambridge history of Poland. is okay, but it's a bit dated and repeats a lot of old and accurate things in it. There's a gentleman named of Oscar Halicki who wrote some books in English on Polish history. He was uh, more of a nationalist, and he wrote uh, partly in the pre-Polish year of World War One, and then afterwards. Okay. Uh, wow. So his 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 viewpoint is a little colored in some some respects. <laughs> I mean, but still a general general information. It, it works out okay. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the 
the post kind of World War One era where Poland was like reconstituted as a state, if you like. This example of, of my secondary school or, or high school education shows how kind of like devoid of proper information it was because I remember looking because I was really I was always interested in the First World War. And I think that's it's evidently continued that interest has. But I remember in fifth or sixth years, so it was seventeen or eighteen, looking at like looking at the Treaty of Versailles, and it's like, oh, Poland was created as a state, kind of thing. And I was like, oh yeah, that's interesting. And then I remember going to the shops and seeing like like Polish food and like the Polish language and everything. And I was thinking like, how how on earth did 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 the like this is how ridiculous it was? I was like, how did the Allies like make a language and like? make a country and make all this food and all this culture in the space of like 80 years like i had no concept of the fact that poland existed very much so before then it was so uh it was su such a good example of how kind of in need of uh of brushing up but i suppose you can only expect so much from from secondary school history really yeah i mean you know uh the one thing and and this is this is uh, actually another reason why i do this is secondary history you're only going to get glossy pictures of a lot of information until you get to college and then you maybe have a chance to go into a little bit more but you need to have the information available in a way people can use it obviously the best thing you can do is try and look for do research for information in a native language it's not as easy to do that with some of these languages just about any language i think for some people yeah. uh, but when you're dealing about multiple languages or multiple cultures it makes it even more difficult so what i'm trying to do is is make some of this stuff available not as the final word in any one thing but it, it's a starting point for you to use to branch out and then look at some of the sources i put in there and look at look for new things mm -hmm. as well that's that's a fairly good approach so so looking forward say is there any kind of because you mentioned you'd done some works on, on the Polish army and you, you recently completed a book, actually. Somehow you managed to have time for that. Is there anything looking forward? Do you think there's any anything left you can flesh out in Polish history? Oh, no, there's tons, tons of things I can flesh out. At, at the moment, for instance, I, I've done the books on the Polish partitions for Osprey. I'm going to expand that in a book that I'm going to come out with probably maybe in a year or so uh, on the partition era. I've already done book on the uh, Polish armies in the Napoleonic Wars. In the planning stages, I've got one on, obviously enough, winged hussars, sort of the golden era, which I'm calling Eastern Empire, because it's basically Poland from the uh, early 1500s through to the end of the uh, 18th century. Mm. And it's a, it's, a, it's a large country at that point. Oh, big time. One state the largest. Yeah. yeah, a large multi-ethnic country. As we recognize now, Ukrainian, Belarus, even Moldavian and, and German peoples within that within that area. So th that's something that I've got planned. I'm also doing one on the uh, November insurrection of 1831, which mm. is a, a military campaign. The Poles actually held their own. Unfortunately, the Russians, although Austria was supposedly neutral during that that insurrection, they allowed Russian troops to enter their territory and go around in order to attack the revolutionary. So, you know, aside from that, let's face it, all's fair, love and war, I guess. Mm, yeah. But uh, it's it's interesting interesting areas to look at why and how and and what for are the reactions. The, those, are, those are some of the areas that I'm looking at. I've, I'm working now with some Polish authors that I'm translating works into English on a variety of those areas as well. Yeah, great. 
That's good. It's good to know. I think because to to break the fourth wall, you and I actually actually did this already, but then we had recording issues and or or like post production issues, let's just say. So we just thought it would be easier to redo it again. But I remember the first time around believing really emphatically the importance in doing historical products. That's a really bad turn of phrase, but basically making things for the the reading or listening public or what have you that delves into areas of importance in history, but areas that are very underrepresented. And I think that's kind of the theme. It's not necessarily the theme of my podcast, because while I've looked at stuff like the Swedish deluges or, say, like the War of the Polish Succession, like random stuff, I've also looked at the First World War and and the July Crisis. So it's it's not... I mean, you couldn't say it's mainstream history, but you also couldn't say that it's totally niche. But in a way, it is. But I think I would certainly characterize, and now I mean this in the in the best, the pos- most positive sense, I would characterize your works as like niche works, but th- like niche in a way that I wish people would make it not niche. By that I mean... <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you know, I view it as a niche subject in that it's not mainstream. People are not going to be the topic du jour is not going to be. Did you hear about the Polish Constitution of 1790? You know, have you, have you read that, that? That's never going to be, you know, at a cocktail party type thing. Mm, uh, unless you have party you go to. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, depending on the crowd you go to. But obviously, it, it's it's an area of importance. It's a, I don't want to get so niche of a niche that we're talking about what type feathers winged hussars had on their wings. Uh, and there are people who will go ad infinitum about those sort of things. You, you want to provide a general history, give give people a basis to start making decisions, start looking into other things. I think a lot of things that you end up doing, it is more of a general history. as maybe a select area within that, but I, I don't necessarily think of it so much as niche, but sort of spotlights on areas within the, the broad, broad strokes of, of general history. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in... In a way, it's, it's. I mean, definitely easier to launch a podcast on a specific area rather than launch a book for, for obvious reasons. But I always found it surprising that, I mean, I mean, I recently, we're recording this in, in February, but I recently announced on Twitter, which I have also joined, at WDF Podcast, all lowercase letters, but yeah, the, <laughs> I recently announced that if I get to the $2,500 level of support as a monthly goal i'll launch a history of prussia podcast and it always amazed me the things that the the subjects in history that do have podcasts and the subjects that don't like i think there's no history of poland as far as i know even though i suppose they'd be hampered when they were doing that by the kind of things you mentioned there but surely, I mean, like some kind of Anglo-Polish scholar of any kind, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's interest, there's big time interest, just like when I announced the, the plans to do the history of Prussia. I mean, there's no, I mean, there, there, there wouldn't be uh, necessarily many Prussians walking around, but that doesn't mean there'd be no interest in it, if you get what I mean. So Absolutely. Do you th- so yeah. do, you, do you think with, I suppose this is actually a roundabout way of asking you, would you be interested in doing any kind of podcasts yourself in the future? I mean, I think I would. I I need to free up a little bit more time because I know it'll probably be as all-consuming as everything else I do. Oh, it is. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's 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 like a heroin addict, I guess. It's like yeah, yeah it may not be. It doesn't seem so bad at first, but yeah, no, it is. And the way I look at it, it's not just Polish history. It's it's history of Eastern Europe because you've got a lot of 
I guess, national ethnic groups within that area. I mean, mm. the, the idea of Great Poland-Lithuania as a country is not restricted to those two nationalities. There are a large group of Ukrainians in there, modern, what we would call today Ukrainians, who viewed themselves part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Sure. That was the yeah. whole point about Kleminski's revolt in the 1640s was they weren't revolting because they didn't agree with the king. Mm. In fact, the one thing they made tried to make constant throughout there is they were loyal subjects of the king. They didn't like the way they were treated because of their religious background and or their linguistic background. So you've got you've got Ukrainians, you've got Belarus, you've got other Slavs within there, as I said before, even Prussians within that that kingdom. Yeah, and actually the Polish relationship with Prussia is fascinating, really, really is. And in fact, Prussia as it was, I mean, wouldn't really exist as we know today without Poland. The actual existence of Prussia, in a way, is, is I mean, it was very much shaped after the Teutonic Knights essentially lost to the Poles. It became something entirely different from what it was. And yet then, strangely enough, and like Prussia is a weird state and the idea of Prussian national identity is weird in itself, but even though the Poles made it less of a kind of martial state, then when Brandenburg was able to take it over, the Brandenburgers tried to kind of take it back to before the Polish time and tried to kind of embrace the Teutonic martial ideas, which is very interesting. The one thing about history in, in that area is uh, it's very much to the whims of chance and luck that certain things happen. I mean, the mm. the... Prussian dynasty essentially dies out and are seceded by their cousins from uh, Brandenburg's, was it Zingmaringen, I think it is. They they lead to the rise of the great Prussian state. Mm-hmm. Um, even up to the time of the Swedish deluge, Prussia was a fife of the Polish king. Yeah. It was only during that the, the, the leaders managed to leverage their position because of the deluge to loosen their bonds there mm-hmm, essentially mm-hmm. and create yeah. a more independent state so that they were kings in prussia as opposed to yeah. prussian kings and then i i pointed this out in another mm-hmm. another conversation mm-hmm. but the the great elector frederick william in that case i think it was in 1657 or 58 he only actually got away with doing that yeah the first king in yeah. prussia in 1701 he only got away with doing that because the War of the Spanish Succession was about to erupt. Carlos II was about to die, and the Holy Roman Emperor wanted Brandenburg, Prussia, on its side. So, ordinarily, declaring yourself a king in Prussia wouldn't necessarily work. But in this case, it did, because the Holy Roman Emperor Leopold was so desperate for Brandenburg's aid that he said, sure, just just do whatever you want, as long as you keep supporting me, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's what I mean. It's the op- opportunist time that the electors took advantage of. That's just wily political craft, I guess. Mm-hmm. Big time, yeah. All righty. What did you think? He's a good guy, isn't he? Yes, don't worry. That's the first part. It's kind of like talking all through history, all through Polish history, kind of the Polish partitions, kind of... This was at the stage I was kind of getting the feel for his historical interest and the wheels were ticking in my mind thinking, oh, he'd be good to have on for the Polish miniseries because he's the kind of guy I could apply for information about like Polish uniforms and weapons and all the kind of, well, I suppose the stuff I would find boring, but the stuff people don't find boring. But yeah, he'll come in handy, let's just say, but it'll also come in handy because he's going to be publishing two more books of mine. So that's great also. 
Yeah, so I hope you guys will check out the second part of the interview, and I hope you enjoyed this part as well. Let me know what you think through the usual channels. That part's out right now, so go listen to it, go and enjoy it. And thanks for listening. I'll be seeing you all very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.